A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to episode 20 of the weekly Runners World podcast with me, Rick Pearson, and he, Ben Hobson. Hello! Each Tuesday, we'll be bringing you the latest news and views alongside an in-depth interview with an inspiring runner, or in this case, a nutritionist. This week, we are talking about one of my favourite things ever, food. (laughs) And thankfully, we've been joined by nutritionist Kim Pearson to explain more about running and food and how, without one, you cannot do the other. Yep, a marriage made in heaven, no doubt. Well, I've been away for a bit, Ben, haven't I? You have. A couple of weeks. And, absconded. Uh, <laughs> absconded. I took part in a race called uh, The Escape from Great Britain and, and was one of the strangest races I've ever taken part in. How do they uh, find a winner? Like, what, how, what's, the, what's the system? So you're given a tracker. Right. So everyone get, gets a tracker that you put in your bag and that tracks you in real time. And yeah. it's all about like your distance as the crow flies. Yeah, yeah. So you could be like, oh, I did 60 miles, but I essentially went in this sort of fiddly little route. Yeah. And as the crow flies, I only went 25. Got it. Or whatever. So actually, to, to win, you want to be doing straight lines. Um, but yeah, there's only about 30 people took part in the end. And uh, one guy uh, was t- talking at the beginning, he's come over from Paris and he said, we were, ch- we were chatting and we were saying, oh, we'll probably try and do like a marathon distance a day. We, mm. we weren't taking it super seriously. And he was like, yeah, I'm hoping to do uh, 210, 210 kilometers. It's like, wow, that's a long way. And he's like, yeah, because... Um, that, was got- a, that was a really good French <laughs> accent, by the way. <laughs> yeah, in fairness, he, didn't see, he said he was from Paris, but he didn't sound French. Very right, good. Um, and he, he'd booked his flight... 48 hours later from Birmingham Airport. So his aim was to, just to run to Birmingham? Yeah, just going to run to Birmingham on his own. Right. Hopefully win didn't make it. and then get the flight back to Paris. He actually didn't... I think he... I don't know if DNF is the right word. You could, you could essentially wrap it whenever you wanted to. Got you. Right. So he, he did like a day and a half, covered over 100 miles and then... Was oh, like, he he no. had to get his plane so he got a train. Yeah. Hey, I think I quite like that as a like a motivator. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like it's kind of uh, high stakes. And another guy was... um was running to Penrith, so sort of on the on the edge of the lakes, mm. and um, he was hoping to arrive. We left on Friday. The event started at on noon on Friday, and he was hoping to get to Penrith for the park run. <laughs> nice. Okay. <laughs> the next morning. So, yeah, it was, a very, it was an eccentric group of, of people. Um, we came... We, we were last for the vast majority of the race. Good. And then a late rally meant we finished about fifth from last. Get wow. in, get well, in well done. Yeah, it was mainly on the on the Pennine Way, actually. Was it good? Yeah, it was lovely, like lovely, lovely countryside. At a certain point, did everyone just split? Yeah, everyone just sort of splintered at the start. And then um, a few of us were running together for, along the Pennine Way for a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we, we were just walking with, with one bloke. He was kind of hiking, and, and he was on his own. He was like, 
yeah, I mean, I've put myself into a campsite, but I'm not going to get there till about 3am, so I'll probably just bivy down in the hills. Where did you stay? <laughs> well, Pubs, B&Bs? We, we took what was what was christened the Southern Softy option. <laughs> For sure. So, so everyone else was like, a few hardy women were like, we're not going to sleep. Right. Like 40 hours. Was, and I was like, that's preposterous. <laughs> we booked ourselves into two, two B&Bs <laughs> on the first day because there weren't many B&Bs in the Pennine Way. Um, I didn't want to camp, obviously. I mean, come on. <laughs> Uh, so the option was to either go 35 miles, right. which felt a bit punchy on the Pennine Way, yeah. or, I'm seriously, about 12. So the first day, we covered 12 miles. So, Just to get to the V&V. Yeah, so we, so we we and at that point, we were running about five, I could have done this. So the men, you could, yeah. We were running with five other, five other people at the time, and the, in, in our number were three women who weren't planning to sleep, right. Right? and the guy who was hoping to get to the campsite by 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. And we went to... Uh, uh, it's basically the first, the first uh, little town you get to south of uh, of Holt Whistle. And we're like, oh, we're just stopping here. And they're like, oh, cool, yeah, you're stopping to get a sandwich over. And we're like, yeah, mm, yeah so. <laughs> and also to sleep <laughs> for the rest of the day. For the rest of the day, so and we, maybe the pub. Yeah, so we stopped running at probably five p.m. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah, and uh, but it was good. And the second day covered thirty-three miles. Okay, so that felt more like a proper shift. Yeah, spent a bit of time in a boffy. Right, good. So it actually felt like proper kind of mountaineering. And then uh, third day, about 15 miles. Right. But that, that third day finished at noon. Right. Okay, that was the, that was the cut-off anyway. Yeah. But no bravery points. I mean... 12 miles. <laughs> 12 miles the first day <laughs> was rubbish. Bad. It was really bad, yeah. This is the Runner's World Podcast. The relationship between food and running can be complicated. We've spoken before about the mental battles many face when the topic is brought up, but there is another side to it. We as beings need fuel to keep going and there are good and bad ways to do this. Thankfully, nutritionist Kim Pearson is here to talk us through how to power our engines. Kim, welcome to the Runners World podcast. Hello, thank you very much. No, it's great to have you on. Um, can we just talk a little bit about um, carbo-loading? What, what's, the, what's the theory behind carbo-loading and what are some of the ways actually you can, you can do this right? Okay, so the theory is what we're doing is storing up our energy stores, essentially. So within the muscle and liver cells, we're storing up glycogen so that we can use it as fuel to power us through race day. And the idea is that we do that through consuming carbohydrates in the days leading up to a big race. Now, as with most aspects of nutrition, it's a personalised thing. So it's about working out how much and over what period of time works well for you and also factor in your carbohydrate consumption based on your training runs, your rest periods, because it's striking that balance between getting enough but not too much. Because I think that the the sort of... I don't know the associated image or the like. The idea is that a, a ginormous bowl of spaghetti the night before, maybe like at, 10 p.m. the night before, is, yeah. is absolutely. But you said a few days, so that carb loading process needs to be sort of days rather than hours. It depends on the race. Right. So if you're running a marathon, yes. Um, ideally. But then again, it it depends on the individual. So some people actually do do quite well on on relatively less carbohydrates and and just fueling during the race. And I think one of the big problems that runners typically um, fall into the trap of Mm. 
is focusing so much on carbohydrates that we forget about everything else. So we forget about the proteins, the healthy fat, the micronutrients like vitamins and minerals. So it's about making sure that we are not just giving ourselves the energy, but also supporting muscle recovery and our our health in general as well. Yeah, right. So it's not just about kind of big plates of bread and pasta. All of the carbs, Yeah. 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 I think that's the sort of like the basics of running nutrition is that um, I guess it's sort of preached that the carb is king, but in fact, you know, the 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 protein and all those sorts of things, and 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 again, like real food, um, and the importance of that rather than consuming vast amounts of sort of whey protein and and all that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I assume that that's you know the first step is understanding the measures to take on real food rather than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. So. There's two considerations, really, when I'm working with runners. There is the basic day-to-day nutrition that we all as humans need to make sure that we we cover off. And then there are the things that are more specific for runners. So when I talk about structuring meals, I always talk about the importance of getting a source of protein, healthy fats, plenty of vegetables, so we're getting our vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and then the carbohydrates, depending the quantity and the quality, depending on on runs. And I think that's another important thing to cover off. We talk about quantities of carbohydrates, but also quality is a really important consideration. So from a nutritional point of view, white refined carbohydrates like white rice, white bread, white pasta have had a lot of their vital nutrients stripped away through the refining process. Whereas if you're focusing on things like more whole carbohydrates like brown rice, uh, pulses, beans, lentils, um, rye bread, for example, not only are they going to provide you with um, carbohydrates, they're also going to be providing essential vitamins that are essential for the conversion of food into energy. So vitamins, minerals and other important nutrients as well as the carbohydrate. We've heard a lot of stuff about this kind of low carb, high fat diets that have come in over the last few years. And it seems to really divide people between some people who say, you know, I, I can run 100 miles and I don't have an energy gel or hardly any carbohydrates. I do it like chewing on an olive or whatever. Is this keto? Well, I guess the keto is, is, I mean, Kim will know better than me, but that's kind of extreme version of low carbohydrate diet. Do you think that this is a viable diet for for runners or do you think that actually it's something that needs to be treated with a bit more caution? It very much comes down to the individual. And what one really interesting area of nutrition at the moment is um, genetics and how our genetics determines what kind of diet suits us best. So, yeah, you absolutely do get some people who really thrive on um, a diet that is lower in carbohydrates and has more fat, protein, but then other people really will not do well at all on that. So, again, it comes back to what is right for the individual. But a ketogenic diet, to answer your question Mm. about that, is when you drop carbohydrates so low in your diet that the body switches over to burning fat as a primary energy source. And so some people are very effective at adapting to taking their fuel um, from fat rather than from carbohydrates. And the advantage of that, in theory, is that we've all got enough fat in our body to power us to run Mm. Or from here to Edinburgh or whatever, as opposed to if you run just Mate, I've got a bit more than on, that. On, on carbohydrate. <laughs> that, that's sick of, isn't it? The idea that actually your fat stores are, the, are 
are even on very lean athletes. Yeah. Everyone's got lots of fat that they could, they could in- theoretically burn. Well, there's yeah, there's the dietary fat and also our stored body fat. Right. And with carbohydrates, one thing to bear in mind is that they, you know, when you eat carbohydrates, you will get a peak in your blood sugar level, which gives you immediate energy. Any additional carbohydrates will be carried away and stored in cells. So, for example, the glycogen that we were speaking about previously. Mm. But that's all relatively short-lived. You know, the the stores, so hence why we use things like gels during endurance runs to top up those glucose levels. But if you're already depleted, if you've already depleted your carbohydrate reserves and your body's adapted to burning fat, then you don't get these sort of peaks and troughs in, in available glucose because it's already gone. So your body's switched over to right. burning another energy source, if you like. Yeah. That's a very simplistic explanation. No, I think that's, that's a good way of explaining it, yeah. It does sound like an ideal way of doing it, but obviously, as you mentioned, genetics is, is the key to that. So it's like you could try it as much as you want and it will never work for you. Well, I think it's very interesting when you look at people as individuals and where their ancestors originated from. So what we're starting to see, um, you know, when we look at genetics, people that have a um, whose ancestors have come from different parts of the world, the diets that those ancestors have lived on really influences how well they respond to different foods now. So, for example, there are tribes in certain parts of Africa that largely live on meats that they've hunted and killed. Mm. And, for example, the Inuits have have a largely, you know, sea they eat from the seas. And then in other parts of the world, you have people that have spent, you know, years and years eating largely a plant-based diet. Mm. And so... You know, a lot of the interesting research is showing that where your your ancestors originated from yeah. dictates the types of diets that will, will suit you. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah, that it is very interesting. interesting. Yeah. So the individual needs to sort of, these genetic tests you can take, which are fairly commonplace these days, and you mm. send off a, a, a little blob of blood in a test tube and it sends you back your DNA makeup. Is that the sort of thing? DNA is actually a mouth swab. Is it? But there oh, are okay. lots, yeah. Oh, someone's actually... got my blood. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you send it to? Oh, I don't know. Just a sort of... Just, like, like, just, ask. just a hotmail address. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's... But, you know, yes, you can go down the genetic testing route. Mm. But I think it's... I always really encourage people to test things out, see what mm. works for you. Mm. Some people love journaling, making a note, and I think that can be really useful. So try out different types of diets, reduce your carbohydrates for a period of time, see how it makes you feel. You'll get some people who feel great and really feel energized and then other people you know if they're training a lot they just can't do that it doesn't work for them at all yes yeah, so it can be kind of trial and error diy mm. approach yeah um when it comes to real food versus um sort of gels so I'm, I'm of the opinion that there's nothing magical in gels um and that actually you can make your own you know essentially Absolutely. from like you know uh, blending a banana and some honey and getting your own Gel and I, I bored Ben with my own gel recipe before. and everyone else. But do you think do you think that more people should be looking at kind of real food during races at, at, rather than a kind of gel based strategy? I think gels are easy and convenient. Yeah. You know, if you think of carrying around your squishy banana um, mixture, it probably yeah. isn't quite as practical as something that <laughs> yes. comes in a pouch. Yes, um, that is true. But as far as actually like the the performance yes, advantage from a nutrition you, perspective, from a nutrition perspective, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, 
This is an area where companies have put a huge amount of research in. Yeah. But actually, if you look at the ingredients of what, what goes into the gels, most of it, you can make your own version mm. at home. And it's interesting because I was at the Marathon Expo um, a couple of weeks back yeah. now, and I've noticed some of the newer companies that are launching onto the UK market really are going in a more natural direction. And they say, you know, you could make this at home yourself. Mm. We've made it for you. But the ingredients are very simple. They are things that you recognise. They're not full of synthetic flavourings, colourings of the past. So I really think that this is the way things are going. If you look at the back of a, of a gel and it says, you know, this is, this is fructose and then, you know, glucose and those sorts of things, um, that's the same as, that's basically the, the, sort of the, the, the same carbohydrate that you would find in eating a banana, right? Is that... Well, yeah. I mean, fructose is the sugar yeah. that you will find in fruits. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of them use maltodextrin, but you can buy this stuff. Yeah. If you want, if you wanted to make your own, yeah, you know, I'm I'm not aware of any particularly special ingredients yeah. that are patented and not widely available. Have you ever, have you ever made your own sort of gels or like energy balls or anything? I can't say I have. No. Well, if you want the recipe, just let us know. <laughs> <laughs> or listen to episode eighteen where you told everyone about it. Yeah, that's uh, that's true. They're unfortunately uh, they're not a good colour at the minute. They're kind of they're sludgy brown, brown. Quite sludgy brown. Yeah, mm. and that's that puts well, people off. I tell you, that will be because of oxidation. So ah, when okay. it's exposed to the air, it's oxidising. So what you could do is mix in, put something in like a squeeze of lemon juice, which has vitamin C, yeah. which should pre prevent the oxidation. So in the same way that when you cut an apple, if you rub lemon juice onto that, it shouldn't go brown so quickly. Wow, it's there preventing you go. the oxidation. Oh, great tip. There you go. Stop right. your banana oxidising. <laughs> you can try. I'm not guaranteeing your yeah. results, but you know, give it a try. Let us know. We mentioned proteins a bit mm. before then, um, and it's, I feel like there's more and more protein products have come out. And I'm a little bit dubious as to how much protein we actually need. I, I wonder if actually we're, we're a bit obsessed with protein and kind of, are we actually overdoing it in the Western world? Oh, I know. There are some <laughs> really weird, I've seen protein pies, protein, yeah, yeah. it's a bit odd. Um, I think protein is really important. It's been very overlooked in the past right. and it's not now. It's very much the in thing. I mean, people who are experts in nutrition have been banging on about protein for a long time because yeah. it is important structurally and functionally we need it as humans our muscles are made from protein our skin the collagen and elastin that our skin is made from are proteins so it's really important that we do consume optimal amounts of protein um, it is possible to get enough from our diet alone but protein powders can be really useful mm. so especially for people who are on a vegetarian or a vegan diet. And it, it can be useful for, you know, protein powders can be great for recovery shakes, breakfast smoothies for people who, who don't like savoury breakfast but mm. feel better having protein for breakfast. I will quite often advise my clients to get protein in at breakfast because it fills you up, it keeps you satisfied, it will keep you going through to lunch where cereals and toasts won't. Mm. And in terms of recovery, there's a lot of research into the importance of getting protein after training, after your runs, so that you're um, supporting muscle recovery. Is there a, like a set 
because most of these servings always come in sort of like 15 grams or 20 grams per you know scoop and and that, that's is can your body process only a certain amount at a certain time or is there sort of like an endless amount of protein you can be pumping in or is it the figure that's thrown around a lot is 30 grams at a time but really there's no solid research right. to, to back that up again the amount you need really is dependent on the individual the guidelines are a minimum of 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight per day but that's a minimum recommendation right. and i find that most people do better yeah. on more of that um, but in terms of protein powders, you know, 10, 20 years ago, they were all quite synthetic, you know, full, filled with synthetic additives, flavourings, colourings. And we had this idea that they were just for bodybuilders and kind of gym bros. Yeah. But these yeah. days, there are some really nice kind of um, protein powders that are much more natural, um, less processed and and, you know, it's understood that we can integrate it into our diet in a lot of ways not just kind of recovering from from gym workout what are some of the brands that you would recommend then on on protein powders mm, there's a few good ones nowadays there's a brand called pulsin which is good i like there's one called free soul um Oh, gosh, you're putting me on the spot now. Let me have a think. Um, there's one called Macaca, which is nice. Sun Warrior do oh, yeah. good protein yeah, powders. Yeah. There's a brand called Purition, which do really nice, um, they call them kind of meal replacement, but they're not like your standard meal replacements. They have the protein powder, but then they have things like ground up nuts, seeds, right. apple pectin mm. for, for fibre. So um, they're called Purition. That's a really nice brand okay. as well. Yeah. But there's there's a few good ones now. No, that's good. I think that the, 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 a bigger topic that kind of we, we talk about the nutrition and, and, blah, 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 and you know, how, but is actually is gut health. And I think that how... Well, everyone who knows who's run a race and it's gone wrong and you need to visit the toilet, that immediately gut health can have a huge impact on your performance. But, I mean, the, the flora of the stomach, the, the microbiological elements of the stomach. But, I mean, that's super important, right? Gut health is talked about a lot nowadays. And, yes, it is really important. So I think the, the important thing is if people are struggling with their guts when they're running, it's working out what's at the root cause of that. Mm. Is it... Is it a gel, for example, that they're using that's causing them problems? Is it anxiety and stress around the race? Is it something deeper rooted? So, for example, presence of pathogenic bacteria in the gut that is an ongoing problem but is made worse in certain situations. Is it a lack of beneficial bacteria in the gut? So this is a very interesting area and there are some fascinating tests that you can do nowadays to investigate what's going on within your gut. So if people do have gut problems, there's a lot you can do to really find out what's going on. And again, I was talking earlier about keeping keeping a journal, keeping a diary. So if runners are experiencing problems with their digestive system when they're running, it's a good idea to note down when it's happening. Is it at a certain point, at a certain time on their run? Is it when they've consumed something in particular before they've run or during the run. So keeping a diary and noting down what you're eating, what you're doing, how you're feeling, and when you're noticing those symptoms, you can start to link up, you know, what might be causing right. it. I've never had any sort of food allergy testings or things like that, but you can sort of consume something and feel very bloated mm -hmm. and all those sorts of things. And I can assume that's just a, your stomach sort of having a mild reaction to these sorts of things. 
we don't forget that when you're running, your body isn't prioritising digestion. Yeah, true. You know, it's prioritising bringing available energy to you so that you can you can run. You'll, you'll have presence of stress hormones there that are kind of carrying you around, especially if it's a big race, you're bound to be feeling a bit buzzed for that. Yeah. And your body in that situation isn't going to be prioritising di- your digestive function. So Kim, if, if people want to find out more about um, nutrition in general, is there anywhere that they can go? Yeah, sure. I've got a website. It's kim-pearson.com. And I've got a newsletter that I send out every week. So if people would like to subscribe to that, I can keep you updated with running and nutrition updates. That sounds great. Kim, thanks so much for coming on the Run As Well podcast. Thanks, thanks for so having much. me. Cheers. This is the Runner's World podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Um, you're looking quite bronzed. Thank you very much. I've been on holiday, Ben. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Tell me about it. Well, I was in Sardinia, which is like Italy with worse food. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're never going back there again. No, it was, it was very good. We were on the east coast of Sardinia, which is the kind of the particularly volcanic, kind of uh, hilly, beautiful beaches, lots of beaches where you have to kind of trek about 90 minutes to get to. Did you do any running on your holiday? Because I think... We can have a discussion about, I think holiday running is the best running. Yeah, I really like holiday running, but a bit too much. Right. Because yeah. I think it's, you know, if, if I had my way, I'd be like, oh, I'll go out for an hour or 90 minutes. Every day. Every day. Or yeah. I might even kind of, one of the destinations of the day might be, oh, I, look, I know it's like, there's not a beach there, but that trail looks absolutely spectacular. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, I, because uh, I've got this. North Downs Way 100 thing coming up. That's get which is you haven't, about, you haven't mentioned it. Yeah, about six or so weeks away, and that's I'm starting to realise, you know, just how big a task that is. So I was like keen to get out. Yeah, and obviously the loads of hills, so it was it was good for that, on that front. But you have to sneak these things in. I think I was like, I think I, I had an hour a day that I think was probably all right. Yeah, to do that. But um, yeah, I did I did enjoy it. But I was kind of I wanted to balance out along with. Well, you Actually, are on holiday. You're on holiday, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is it about holiday running that you like? So I think it's sort of like twofold. I think that firstly, you're in a new place. 
Yeah. And I immediately like want to have an explore. And I think that running is such a lovely way of doing that because you kind of, you don't go very far or I certainly don't, but you yeah. kind of like finding a little loop to do is always quite interesting. Mm. And then I think that because of the holiday aim is to just relax and to do nothing, it kind of frees up time that would have just been consumed by life in general. Yeah, right. So yeah. the actual balance between I'm going to go off for a, an hour now running mm. is much easier to happen with like shared childcare and like wanting to read a book later Definitely. and the pool time and all that sort of stuff. So that's why I think I like I like it because there's a real like trade off in time that's doable between the family unit and who like if Luce wants to go off and like you know have a swim for an hour later then I'll do that and it's a it's a fair trade off rather than anything else that's why I quite like it because it's there's a quality to yes. holiday time oh that's good no, I think that's yeah. right to get that right balance it also was a reminder to me of, of the importance of recovery because I think when you're on holiday mm. if you're doing a kind of beach holiday yeah yeah you might kip in the during the day mm. or you might wake up at like you know you've got young kids maybe not but but otherwise you might wake up at sort of 10 a.m or whatever oh yeah, yeah. and it's amazing you have a kind of what might be an athlete's life? Oh, the afternoon nap thing is is that holiday thing where you get the extra sleep and time and stuff. And yeah. You go. I feel so much better. Yeah, and you could and you could feasibly go out running in the evening. Like I felt like I could have run quite hard every day if I wanted to. Yeah. I felt like invigorated enough by by the evening to do that. And you think actually, if you're at work and you're, and you're sitting down and there's a stress of work and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That. That eats into your recovery, actually. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, more evidence that holiday running is the best. Yeah. I'd be interested to know what our listeners have to think about um, holiday running. Do you, do you pack your trains? Are they the first thing that go in your suitcase? Or do you try to choose a, or make holidays a time free of running? Mm. Let us know. Right, uh, let us know. Podcast at runnersworld.co.uk. This is the Runners World Podcast. Once again, Runners World's very own Columbo, <laughs> Kerry McCarthy, is here to give us an update on all the latest happenings across the world of running. Tell us about some news. Some news. What's been going on? Okay. So I'm going to start this week with uh, Casta Semenya, who's been back in the news again. Mm-hmm. Um, for those of you listeners who might recognise the name, but you're not qu- quite sure why, uh, the quick recap is this: she's the South African athlete um, who's been kind of battling the governing body, the IAAF, pretty much since 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, because she has uh, naturally elevated levels of testosterone in her system. Um, She is a double Olympic champion. She's a three-time world champion, um, all over 800 metres. And the IAAF uh, basically got on her case because she was winning races really, very comfortably. Um, They then brought in legislation which said, which kind of set a limit on the levels of testosterone in female athletes' bodies, mm-hmm. which meant that if Semeny wanted to continue over the 800 and 1500, with it being capped at 1500, um, she would have to take a testosterone-suppressing drug. Right. So Semeny has obviously been battling this because it will obviously decrease her level of performance, and she says that's unfair. Um, so over the last week, uh, it's been going back and forth for years, like I say, over the last week, um, she has been named in South Africa's World Championship squad for the World Championships in Doha later this autumn, which shows their faith in her. Um, they've not confirmed which um, distances she would take place, she would she would run um, at the moment. They're waiting to see the outcome of this case. Um, 
She went and ran last week a 2,000 metre race in Paris. Um, and now to stress that the testosterone, the, the low rate of testosterone only works up to, they say only has an effect up to 1,500 yeah, metres. Right. Yeah. So her going and running 2,000 metres and winning it very comfortably, like yeah. she did, is her way of saying, screw you, basically. Yeah. She absolutely slaughtered everyone in it. Um, and then last week, the Swiss Federal Supreme Court suspended the IAAS ruling, um, which meant that she can continue to compete without any medication. Um, The Court of Arbitration for Sport had said, this is quite key actually, they had ruled against her recently. And in their judgment, they said, um, they found that for athletes with differences of sexual development, this was discriminatory, but concluded that the discrimination was necessary, reasonable and proportionate to, to protect the integrity of female athletics. That's a bit of a cat among the pigeons. Semenya obviously said, no, thank you very much. I'm going to go to the Supreme Court. They've put a stay on it. They've not said she could compete forever. But the case continues. But for now, she can continue doing what she's good at. It's a a really complicated one. But I'm glad that she's running. Let's have a look at her performances. Now, her PB over 800 metres is Mm 154.25. If she was such a kind of like a freak of nature, this would be far and away a world record. It's not the world record. It's off it by a second. She only has the fourth fastest time ever. And actually, even the athlete in 12th place is within a second of her time. So it's not extraordinary. The 1500 metres, her PB is 359.92. The great Genzebe de Barba set the world record in 2015 at 350.07. Semenya doesn't even come in the top 25 over the 1500 metres. So there's an argument to say that actually her performances aren't that extraordinary and she's competing possibly in an era where she's made to look especially good. Because of an inf- inferior competition. Well, just, you know, <laughs> let's let's just say there's there's a lack of comparable talent or lack yeah. of similar grade superstars. Yeah. Now, I know, uh, you know, it's very complicated for the other athletes who are competing with her because obviously they're females as well. They would be horrified if it were happening to them. They have every sympathy. But at the same time, this is their livelihood. Yeah. Medals equals money, yeah. basically. And, you know, they want to get more of them. But... My opinion would be, it's just kind of tough luck. Mm. Just for anyone who is competing in the era of Bolt or Michael Phelps, are you going to say Bolt is banned yeah. because he has an abnormally long stride length? Phelps had massive hands, which you know, which well, still does presumably in the, the double <laughs> oh, transplant. But when he, when he was competing, <laughs> breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, they were like paddles in the water. Are you going to say that East Africans have an unfair advantage because they have a higher preponderance of, of slow twitch muscle fibers mm. over Caucasian athletes? It's just. Yeah, I, I find it highly ironic that the IAAF are struggling to contain the use of performance-enhancing drugs, and yet they're promoting, mm. you know, the use of a performance-suppressing one. Yeah. yeah, I think I think it's a really good point. And like, say, athletes at top level are extraordinary, um, physio- physiologically, almost by by definition. So this is um, this is maybe just an exa- another example of that. And like, say, the times aren't extraordinary. Maybe it's actually she's competing in an era of, that isn't where well, there isn't that much competition. Not her fault. Yeah. We will see. It continues. Um, moving on, I suspect anybody who's on social media, uh, the way the, the algorithms work, whether you're a, a runner or not, you will have seen over the last week the uh, furore, if I might put it like that, mm-hmm. over the Nike plus-size mannequins. Yes. Um, but for, for those who haven't heard, um, Nike have started displaying uh, plus-size mannequins in their, in their stores. A journalist at The Telegraph wrote a piece uh, saying how awful that was 
um, and everything kicked off. So here's, here's a couple of quotes from the journalist. Um, I fear that the war on obesity is lost, or has even, as is fashionable, ceased to exist for fear of upsetting people into an early grave. The new Nike mannequin is not size 12, which is healthy, or even 16, a hefty weight, yes, but not one to kill a woman. She is immense, gargantuan, vast. She heaves with fat. Well, it's just it's terrible language, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So when this was first sort of pictured and on social media when it first came up, it was purely celebratory. So there was, a, and it, but the, the, the sad factor of life is that it was actually celebratory with sort of a limited amount of reach. And then obviously um, the journalist, she wrote this piece, sensationalised sensationalized the whole sort of thing. And then that's when it kind of escalated quite quickly yeah she that she promoted her obviously as all journalists do you promote your own piece on social media and when when she when she linked her piece um she put the new mannequin is obese and she is not readying herself for a run in her shiny nike gear she cannot run she is more likely pre-diabetic and on her way to a hip replacement what terrible cynicism is this on the part of nike i would say nike have been the beneficiaries of massive PR boost. Yeah, there. huge, definitely. You know, they've said nothing. They've consistently refused to, to give comment to it. They've just let it be, as I think they should. And as many, many people responding have, you know, they've obviously responded in their own way. But the one point that everybody's making is, how can you have a go at larger people and say you should lose weight and then say, oh, but you, there shouldn't be any kit for you to work out in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And do it in private in baggy clothes. Yeah, exactly. But the, the, the effect it had in the end, apart, obviously, you know, who knows whether it was clickbait or not. Um, obviously, that piece got a lot of traffic. But it just brought people together again and people were supporting each other and saying, here's a picture of me. I am exactly the same size as that mannequin. Here's me powerlifting, running, walking the dog in the in the highlands, whatever it is. And everyone passing each other back, which should be the case. If you're moving your body and you're trying to be healthy, massive thumbs up. Um, And finally, just uh, it's it's kind of tangentially related to running rather than core. Um, But I don't think I know any runners that don't love coffee. Yeah, Um, we all rely on it to. to get us out the door before a session. Uh, and I spotted uh, some recent research that's been done by the University of South Australia. There's an upper limit, apparently, for how much coffee is safe, when specifically when you're talking about heart disease risk. Right. So basically, it was a bit of a, a, a bit of a metadata study. The, the researchers delved into UK biobank data of more than 347,000 people. Um, the age range was 37 to 73, um, and they wanted to see to explore how the caffeine metabolizing gene helps carriers process caffeine, as well as identify the risks of cardiovascular disease as it relates to consumption. Basically, um, to cut a long and very boring sciencey story short, those drinking more than six cups of coffee a day had almost a 25% high risk, a 22% high risk of cardiovascular disease than those who drank one to two cups a day. And how fast you metabolise it has nothing to do with it. So if you're one of those nutters right. that can have a double espresso at 10 o'clock at night mm-hmm. and still sleep, that's not going to help you, right. actually, mm-hmm. is what this is saying. Um, interestingly, if you don't drink any coffee at all, that's not good for you in the opposite direction. Right. The study also suggests, uh, it says here, that the heart protective effects of drinking some coffee, uh, since non-drinkers had an 11% increased risk of cardiovascular disease compared to those who drank one to two cups daily. Right. There's a so, sweet spot. The there's coffee. a sweet a couple to get you going in the morning. Yeah. Probably no more after lunchtime. That's that's my rule. Thanks a lot, mate. No worries. See you next time. Yeah, see you next time. Cheers. 
So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. I'd like to say a huge thanks to our guest, Kim Pearson, no relation, and to Number 8 Studios in Soho, where this was recorded. For more news, reviews, interviews, and much, much more in the world of running, please head over to runnersworld.com slash UK. Please like and subscribe on iTunes, and thanks to Acast, our hosting partner. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.